Welcome, I'm Jeff Johnston. This is the Living Undeterred podcast, and today I continue the journey through the Johnston brothers. Um, a few weeks back, I was honored to have my brother Scott here talking about the afterlife and his quest to find answers uh, after we leave this earth. Today, I have a, a different angle. This is my brother Dan. Um, I'm going to have Dan explain a little bit about himself. Obviously, I know his life story because he's my brother, but um, I'm going to call this the Outdoor Advocate. Uh, Dan, to me, um, I can't say he's my favorite brother because that would be unfair to Scott and Steve, but he's the he's probably the most renaissance man brother that I have. Um, and he is so active in so many things, but the outdoors is kind of where I want to spend today in regards to things that you do, what, what compelled you to get into the outdoors, how you're helping the company that you work for in so many different ways. I've been watching your podcasts and you've been so many speaking engagements and it's, I don't know, it's exciting. Um, so with that, Dan, thank you for being on the Living Undeterred podcast. You and I have, the last few weeks, spoken on the phone uh, about what we were going to talk about today. And I didn't really want to just get married to the outdoors. I thought we could, and I have a little couple of cheat sheets here thing to get to to maybe ex make our conversation a little bit more exhilarating. But what got you into the outdoors? Um, you know, I remember back when you were just a lad, dad would go out pheasant hunting and duck hunting and, and you were the only one that out of the three brothers that, you know, was hanging around dad in the garage when he was tinkering around and stuff. You always had an interest in that type of stuff. Um, and you ended up gravitating to the outdoors. So what, what was the big pull of the outdoors for you? That's a really good question. First of all, thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. Four of us brothers, me being the youngest, and uh, all of us were horrified of speaking engagements, whether it was a camera or a debating in class or whatever. And now, ironically, three of us do it all the time. Scott talks about ghosts. I talk about the outdoors, and you talk about you know life challenges. Well, Steve's a performer too. He well, just Steve's a performer. I can't wait guitar. to hear him on here. He lets yeah. his guitar do the speaking. <laughs> you know, he, it's a good point. He talks yeah. for his fingers. But yeah. Now, to answer your question, I, it was in me, Jeff. I mean, from day one, I've been covered up with it. I mean, I, I was always active in the outdoors, but I was always in love with it. I remember one time. The one, and you, you, we didn't preload any of these questions. No, no, so no. So we're really no. going on the fly. I may not even get to them. Yeah, but I, I remember one time I was in really young on a field trip. In, uh, I mean, it was elementary school on a field trip. We went to Lake McBride mm -hmm. on a bus, a whole bunch of us. Mm -hmm. And the teachers got us all corralled, probably multiple teachers. And it was so long ago, I hardly remember. And uh, we went to Lake McBride Beach, which is in Iowa. And... The rest of the class is all gathered up, and I'm staring at the water. I mean, it, it, it's serious. I, I can remember that, that part of it pretty clearly. And I'm staring at the water, and we start walking around, milling around, and here's where it gets funny. So I walk down to this boat dock, and, I, of course, I'm looking for fish, right? So little cracks in the dock, and I see a bluegill. So now I'm thinking, how am I going to catch that thing? I don't have any bait. I don't have a rod. I don't have anything. So I find a little piece of old line with an old gold hook on it with a dried up how, piece How old were you again? Oh, goodness gracious. Fourth grade, third oh, wow. grade. Field trip. And you're the only one down there trying to figure out Absolutely. how to catch well, a bluegill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I walk down on this dock. I find this piece of line and I pick the crawler off with my finger because it was dried, dried up. And I dropped that hook down there and I think ate it. And I'll, Jeff, I'll never forget it. I got it, pulled it up. I, it got stuck in the crack of the dock and it got off. And it's just one, one of those, I'll never forget, I went home that night, and I'm just all jacked It was up. an epiphany moment. It's always yeah. been in me. And, and to this day, I've never lost that passion for the outdoors. I mean, whether it's hunting or fishing or now educating in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. and I, The biggest joy for me now is getting 
especially younger people, teach because to your point, which you made to start this conversation, mm-hmm. fishing is a vehicle. The outdoors are a vehicle to much greater things, and I kind of hope we go there. Oh yeah, yeah, because yep. it's so important. we will for so, sure. Yeah. But tell me a little bit about Saint Croix. Um, I, I'm not a, a fishing um, expert by any means, but I know uh, obviously through you, you're a little biased with Saint Croix. So I don't have I don't have a lot of other poles to compare with, but I know in my life fishing that St. Croix has been, wow, for the last decade, I've spent so much time with my, I have a legend, I think, and I have another, yeah. another legendary St. Croix rod. And uh, I know Gary Spiker, who was on the yeah. show a few weeks back, is a big advocate yeah. of St. Croix. Seems to me you guys have a pretty good hold in the fishing market. Um, so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do day to day? What's an average day for you? Are you in the stores setting up the displays? Are you making the calls to the owners of the stores? Or what are you doing day to day for St. Croix? Well, personally, I'm our North American sales manager. Now with COVID, it's probably a little so, bit different. So than I'm not traveling as much, but I have a, um, a vast array of sales reps across the country and Canada that report to me. And we manage the things that you speak of, whether it's promotion coordination or selling rods directly or sales programs, incentivizations, mm-hmm. training, all the things that make a business work. I mm-hmm. just oversee that piece of the puzzle but St. Croix it's a it's a really cool story and, and we'll get to that too later when we talk about um, the why and core values yeah, and yeah. connecting passion to th- using using things that you love whether it's golf or fishing or music or whatever as a vehicle to satisfy your passions okay St. Croix epitomizes that they're mm-hmm. family owned largest ride manufacturer mm. in the US mm. um, over so 75 they're a privately years held company absolutely wow that's yeah, cool. Which is very rare. Yeah, it is because normally these companies get gobbled up by conglomerates yeah, and they exactly. disappear. So we have total control over the manufacturing process, completely in love with all of our anglers. We call our customers our anglers. They're really part of a family. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. we're all about them. You know, that's what drives us, our product innovation and development and everything. So it's been a great ride, you know, for sure. I mean, when you, when you, uh, Let's rewind back to that third grade story. If I ever imagined I'd be where I am now doing what I do, it would have been literally a dream. So there's challenges with anything we do, but to work in the industry I work in has been a blessing. I remember, I mean, I have so many stories I remember fishing, but I I remember vividly my my aha moment when I knew that, you know, there's there's Dan Johnston and there's me. It's like Dan Gable and other wrestlers. It's like... We were at uh, Minnesota fishing, and and you know you always fished in the front of the boat with the trolling motor, and I was in the back. I think my brother Scott, our brother Scott, was with us, and yeah, you know, I'm just getting frustrated. You know, I think I'm fairly good. I'm throwing these things, and then you got these <laughs> damn things. You're throwing these sunken trees, and you know you're thinking. Sometimes I think you have gills. I have to maybe check you out because you think like a fish. So you you saw my frustrations, and you kind of looked over, and you know compassion kicked in, and you said, "Hey Jeff, get up here. You know, stand up here." And, I, there's a bass in there, I know it. So I get up there and I'm all confident, eager, and I'm throwing my jig and pig or whatever you guys call it, and I can't catch this damn thing. And I can see you just getting frustrated because I know you can see the bass down there. I can't. And I know you can see the bass probably laughing at my presentation. Like the way I'm bouncing it off looks like it's a you know a dead pop can or something. And um, and then you said, okay, Jeff, that's enough. There's like 15 casts. The first frickin' cast you threw in there. I think you pulled out like a four and a half pound largemouth bass. And I just knew at that moment, I said, okay, I'm just in, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm in presence of a legend here. And, and I mean that in all sincerity, Dan. Most people that know about your fishing prowess knows that this could, could have been a career for you, professional fishing, which is where I'm going with this story. Mm-hmm. I asked you one time, 
Uh, I said, you know, Dan, I know a lot of talented golfers that never took it up professionally. I know a lot of talented musicians that never took it. When I mean took it up, I mean like toured and tried to make, you know, be famous. And you said, Jeff, the moment that I did I take this into a profession where I have to pay my bills, then I'll lose the love that I have for fishing. And that just like was an aha moment for me about how much respect you have for the art of fishing that you didn't want to, you know, taint it by becoming a professional. Now, I don't know if you remember telling me that, but I know you get asked all the time, Dan, why don't you become a professional bass fisherman? You know, and is that kind of how you would answer it today? Yeah, it might be one of my biggest regrets down the road when I get older, <laughs> though, because, man, along the way... Oh, you're not too old. To... Along, well, there's a friend of mine actually two years older than me fishing FLW right now who's really trying to get me to do yeah, it. Yeah, I don't blame but him. It, it's... Uh, um, I know so many people that do it that love it. I also know so many people that do it that don't. Right. And to right. your point, I, I didn't want to uh, in any way um, disrail the passion I have for the sport for right. the right reasons. And I've been very lucky to be able to do that to a large degree from doing national television shows to still fishing a few tournaments to teaching fly casting instruction, for yeah. example. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, on the bass side, crappie, crappie tournaments. I shot a TV show on crappie fishing down at the Ozarks a couple of years ago. So I still get that fix, mm -hmm. right? But the competitive side, you know, Jeff, if anybody knows that, I mean, this guy and I, for all the viewers out there, I mean, <laughs> I, I can't tell you how many times on the golf course we've about... A basketball court. Yeah, basketball. Well, you were always so much better being basketball, but golf, we were pretty close. You just killed me around the greens, but we... We all have a competitive nature yeah. within us. Probably you and I more than the other. Yeah, I would agree with right? that. So, well, you and I got in fist fights over sports, whereas yeah. the other brothers, we never did. <laughs> you know, but on the, on the fishing side, I have that too. But yeah. now it has changed because I would say um, in my uh, earlier in, in my, I would call it a fishing career, it was all about catching. It was all about numbers. It was all about catching more than the next person. Right. 100%. Right. It's not that way at all. I, anymore, I, I, I get more enjoyment out of watching other people catch them, especially somebody that's never done it. And that, because I know what it did for me. Right? right. And that's where it's at. Do I still like to catch them? Absolutely. But that's not what drives me anymore. It's figuring out. Bow hunting's the same way. The kill is anticlimactic to me. Yeah. It's everything that leads up to it. See, I never got into hunting. Yeah. Um, I just, I had a bad experience trapping when I was yeah, a youth, um, yeah. where, you know, and actually it's a very sad story, but I trapped for any reasons that a 14 year old mm -hmm. traps, you know, it wasn't the money. It was you know, literally trying to catch something right. elusive. And, um, Dan Oaks and I were in the morning, we would go check our traps like at five thirty or six and we'd come back, shower up and go on the bus and go to school. And this one morning, man, I caught this baby raccoon mm -hmm. and I remember this to this day. And it didn't die. We'd yeah. set up a snare where it was supposed to fall into the water and drown. Well, it didn't die. Well, I pull up and I don't, I think we had a pellet gun. I, and I pulled up and I did, you know, it looked like a little dog. It just looked like a puppy. And I still to this day just am so disappointed in myself. But I took the noose, put it around its neck, and I drowned it. Mm -hmm. And that's the last time I ever did anything killing an animal in my entire life. I never hunted again. If I did, I did it with because it's. Maybe I was asked to go and I felt obligated to go, but I never got the thrill of killing an animal after that moment. Now, does that make me emotionally weak? Does it make me fragile? I, I don't know what it makes me. That's my story and I'm standing to it. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm sticking by it. Um, but I just had that a moment and I thought, you know, I, I don't really want to kill 
animals and they're not God's creatures because personally I don't I don't believe in God so for me it was more of just a, a moment where I thought well you know like I remember helping out my dad with pheasants forever and uh, donating money and time and things trying to help the the wildlife and stuff and so anyway um, I do kind of get a little irritated when I see pictures of posting of animals yeah. you know and they've got their heads propped yeah. up on a rock and I'm like you know I what do you, as a man, what are you lacking to feel like that's what you have to show people? Can't you just kill it and not show people? I, I don't know. I have a fish on my wall out here, so I'm being a hypocrite. I, I mean, I, I think I respect the fact that people don't like to fish. I respect the fact that people don't like to hunt. I respect there's certain people that don't like heavy metal music. I love it. <laughs> um, I, I respect. No, wait a minute. I, Nobody I, dislikes heavy I, metal I, music, I, man. I, You're I, wrong I respect, there. I respect all of it. Now, to, to, to me, it's more about the strategy. When it, when, for example, when I, I get at, that when I look at bow hunting, from putting uh, mineral out or whatever we you know antler growth you know this time of year to yeah. running cameras in the fall and patterning and the scouting and using the wind scenting down, understanding all the things about it, just to trick such an unbelievable magnificent animal. And what a lot of people don't realize is I pass up a hundred a year yeah, before I shoot one. Right. So, and they're not going to waste. Oh no. Yeah, it's, you guys donate. In fact, them. I donate my bucks. That's what I thought. That's what year. I thought. Yep. Yeah. You told me that. So, so it's you know it's to each his own and I certainly yeah. respect your And you know if we didn't have hunting sure. we'd have rabbit animals in everyone's backyard attacking right. their pets and right. we'd be hitting, you know, animals on the road every day. It's so I understand the the aspect of trying to um you know as, as a as a race as we expand and build right. it you know, we're, we're cutting down the habitat. So where are these animals supposed to go? And so organizations like Pheasants Forever and stuff, they're trying to find yeah, marshes. Yeah, right. And so there's a yep. there's a nice uh, relationship there. So I'm not anti-hunting by any means. Uh, I just, I am anti-hunting right. for Jeff Johnson. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, sure. okay. Walleye or bass? You could only fix yeah. one the rest of your life. What would it be? Well, if you're going to give me that choice. Yes, I am giving you that choice. It'd be bad. Okay, that's what I figured. For sure. But uh, you're a damn good walleye I fisherman, walleye man. I fishing. Not as good as a lot of people. But you fish it like walleye. bass. I mean, when I've been in... Because I, I walleye I, I fish. I sit true. there and I, I lay yep. rig. You know, I just... Yep. I turn on my music. I listen, you know, and I don't drink alcohol anymore, but I'll have a water or pop and I'll fish walleyes and I'll fall asleep. And you're up there, you know, jigging and stuff and working like you are. You're bass fishing. And I'm like, you're the only walleye fisherman I know that fishes as if you're fishing for bass. Not as a lot of them. It's a, it's I a, don't know them. It works really good. There's a lot of things. You got to figure walleye is merely a predator and they predate on a variety of different forage you know, bases and one of which the minnow is yeah. swimming around horizontal up and down top of the water column on the bottom, warm water. They're moving faster, cold water. They're moving slower. It's the same thing as bass. We have baits that emulate that, that you don't have to drag something to catch them. And it's a lot of fun, but there's, you know, it's a, uh, it could be crappie. Crappie's probably over walleye for me now. Hmm. I love crappie fishing. You know, and I know, I know our, I know Dad, call him yeah, Doc. He yeah. gets into crappie oh, fishing yeah. a lot. He's good at um, it too. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's another guy that I'd put him up there. He's yeah. the best fisherman I've ever met in my Absolutely. life. Uh, obviously, yeah. obviously, children are biased with their parents, but in this case, I'm not. Um, and Dad was just like so good, but he never. He was so humble. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't sit around the campfire and brag about how many fish he caught. Yeah. It just that's not wasn't Dad. What Dad taught but you could me go in the boat with Dad. Oh yeah. He was just in it, he, you know, it's, it comes from what he, he was a physician, you know. So he, yeah. dad has always uh, instilled to this day just that he's just, you know, very, very focused and goes after it. And I'm a lot more 
let's get bit. No, let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. And he taught me a lot. Yeah, because you and him spent more time in the duck blinds and, oh, the, other, and the other three boys. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I duck. Scott never duck hunted. Neither did Steve. Right. At least I don't remember. Um, and, but you know, you and Dad had that bonding time. Like yeah. Ian and I have on the golf course. Right. Roman and I have scuba diving. You and Dad had the hunting part of it. So you know, you were kind of um, uh, molded that way. Right. You know, and and um, but no, Dad just uh, from a fishing standpoint, man, he was. And even from hunting too, oh, he yeah. could he could hit ducks. I remember one time we went duck hunting. <laughs> I know it. You know the story. Know. Oh yeah. And it was getting dark. The and, wood ducks. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I I just I, I sucked. I probably was listening to Iron Maiden in the duck boat and stuff, and try, driving Dad crazy. And I remember one time we were we were just ready to pick up the decoys, and these wood ducks are just zooming zooming in like freaking you know F-15s coming in, and Dad's like you know here Jeff you know. Go out there and get a wood duck or something. So I'm sitting out there, and these damn things are flying by, and I can't hit them. And Dad is literally in tears in the boat laughing. And these wood ducks are, and they're fast, aren't they? Wood- yeah, they're like TIE fighters, too. They do a lot of this stuff. Well, they, they're they not were a straight-line flyer. A lot of well, that, I, that's I figured out they weren't a straight line. I shouldn't hear the damn thing and be right. over here. And Dad, we got done, just said, I, you know, I think you know, maybe Jeff hunting's not your profession right just respectfully maybe try investments or something <laughs> so uh well anyway, that's a shout out to dad so very we had to. very yeah we've been Absolutely. fortunate to have mom and dad both still alive yeah. at 87 88 years old pretty pretty fortunate i i do the fact we can't see him well uh, with covid makes it more difficult but yeah. they just got their second vaccine yeah. shot so now i think now I'm, I'm more comfortable going out and seeing him but anyway um so you know Let's talk about the outdoors in respect to um, a coping mechanism for yeah. uh, the problems we have with society. Yeah. And this, this is a huge thing for me. The living undeterred mindset that I've kind of embraced is this resiliency, this um, dealing with trauma, you know, yeah. which really we all have a story. We all have trauma. You know, I know you have been through some personal mm-hmm. traumatic events. Uh, one involved a suicide, um, a death. And when myself, you know, obviously, you know, you related to Seth as well. Um, our oldest son died of a heroin overdose. Um, a day doesn't go by where I haven't heard somebody, something happening, whether they have a diagnosis of cancer. So, I mean, trauma is not elusive in respect to humanity. I mean, it's within all of us. How we deal with trauma is really what defines the quality of life for the rest of our life. And so this living undeterred mindset is giving people coping mechanisms to deal with the uh, the ups and downs of what life routinely gives us, you know, opportunities for us to better our lives as opposed to unraveling. Um, so with that in mind, you know, when you look at the outdoors, um, I compare it to a release, a coping mechanism like golfing uh, or running or, you know, working out. Those are coping mechanisms. Um, do you see people kind of being pulled into the outdoors from a therapeutic angle. Um, mental health is a huge deal right now. 150,000 people died in the United States last year from overdose, alcoholism, and suicide. 150,000 people. There's a lot of people hurting. COVID's making it worse. Talk about an activity that's COVID-friendly, mm-hmm. Dan. Oh, my Lord. I mean, fishing and scuba diving are about... <laughs> you. It's hard to get COVID with you in, right. in a boat by yourself, you know? But... How have you found, you know, whether it's your clients or your circle of friends or even yourself, um, how have you found fishing to be a safe a safe space for you to be when you need a safe space? Well, it definitely is. Hunting would be the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, we all, you know, it's funny. We all have different reasons why we 
fish, those of us that do it a lot, but the one common denominator is the therapeutic side, whether people um, can espouse it or not. For mm -hmm. example, if you were to poll 500 hardcore fishermen, they may all give you a reason why they do it, many of which will be different than others, mm -hmm. but the common denominator is that true love of smelling the coffee in the morning and that the little bit of chill in the morning with the sun's coming up and the, the smell of a boat exhaust. It's hard to explain. Uh, yeah. But it's those things that almost are a subliminal trigger to passion. And you don't you don't understand it till you really get into it. Golf is the same thing, mm -hmm. Jeff. I know you go out in the morning and that first putt there's a little dew on the green. You mm -hmm. can smell that. I yeah. know you can the wind and the trees and this. So yep. you know, back to your point about fishing being such a great social distancing avenue. American Sport Fishing Association concluded eight million anglers came into the sport last year. New? Yeah. New. Wow. So obviously, you know, all of us in the fishing industry benefit, but what I where I benefited the most, and I, I have a podcast out of Chicago yeah. that I'm on every week. Yep. And uh I um we did an episode on this not that long ago. What's the name of the podcast? Uh, we Fish ASA. Yeah, I just com. want to throw that out there for yeah. people that have a yeah. piece of paper. Right. We'll, episode, we'll probably run it at the end yeah. if we can. We're on episode 264, and it's cool because sometimes we talk hardcore fishing. Other times it's legislative. Other times it's more, you know, why do we yeah. do things? I definitely want to get to the why at some yeah. point. But um, I guess the, the point that I was trying to make is on the, on the therapeutic side of fishing, it is something every time my life has been really, really hard. And I don't know if any of us, you know, you and I certainly, but I don't know if any of us haven't either been through something horribly tragic or certainly know somebody that has. And yeah. all of us have a release. Unfortunately, some of them are really bad. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Sometimes they're great. And it, the out, the outdoors has been that my, yeah, I mean, all every single time with no exceptions. When things have been really tough, that boat's on the lake, or I'm sitting in a tree, or I, that's that's where I go. And now that I've been so fortunate to have been given a platform, um, I was invited by Al Limner. A lot mm -hmm. of people have probably heard of him to do mm -hmm. a fishing career workshop to speak to young people through how we get into the fishing industry. But the point that I tried to make to these kids is discover your core values, discover your passions. Try to catch them. We'll teach you how to catch them better, no question. But understand what really why you're doing it and mm -hmm. try to pass that along to others. Because I can't think of many better places to go when times get tough than the outdoors, in yeah, my it's opinion. A, it's, it's addictive. It's unbelievable. And yeah. and I write about and I speak about addiction yeah. as in negative addictions and positive addictions. Yep. The outdoors is a, is a positive addiction. Um, and uh, a, a friend of mine who um, owns Dive Ventures Dive Shops, which are... Their home office is Omaha, but they have a, a an office here in North Liberty. Um, he was an interview in one of my podcasts. I did a dive ventures show. The theme was the ocean and scuba diving, very similar to what you do with fishing mm -hmm. and hunting. And Dean said something that resonated with me that I now, in my last blog I just posted, I wrote about this. And I think it's a very interesting aspect or a, um, I guess, a thought process. And he calls it passion with a purpose. And I think St. Croix embodies it as a, as a corporate culture, um, but then you embody it as a individual, you know, um, fisherman or outdoor, outdoorsman, I guess I'll call you, is that what you have is a passion, but there's a purpose behind mm -hmm. it. And that purpose could be to help a, a nine-year-old that lost his parents, you know, to divorce or a car accident, teach that kid how to fish, how to enjoy the beauty of pulling that bluegill through the dock and having it fall off like you did. There's some romance with that, you know. There's a there's a, 
a seductive element to the outdoors that, that, that someone who's really addicted can't get away from it. And that is the definition of an addiction. But people, unfortunately, think all addictions are negative. And I think you and I are proving with some of the things that we do from a, you know, a compulsive standpoint that is not negative. So Dan, we were discussing in depth about the addictive elements of certain things that pull people into the abyss, as we call it. But then there's also addictions that are very healthy. And you, you know, by all sense and purposes, are an addicted outdoorsman. You know, each mm-hmm. specific, uh, you know, task that you do, fishing, hunting, bow hunting, whatever it is, even mushroom hunting, things like that, that, that are all outdoor related, become very addictive. Um, so I guess, do you think it's possible in in the line of work that you do to, I don't want to say do too much of it, but do you think you could get too addictive to the outdoors where you just neglect real life and you almost just pull away from the reality and you're not really dealing with things? You just kind of escape to the outdoors? Do you think that could ever be a problem? Oh, it absolutely can. I, I think, um, you know, if, if I were to answer that question, you know, introspectively, mm-hmm. I would say... I've always had a. I've always felt that I've had a foundation beyond fishing right. um, that I've always hung my hat on, and um, fishing has certainly been a huge passion. But I've always believed in balance. And you just you know? threw me a softball to hit out of the park That's because good. I really like that yep. that aspect. Because you and I talk yep. at length, and in all the times we've ever had conversations on this particular topic, I want to talk to you about. We've never had any um, emotions come up that aren't. Uh, constructive, you know, right, right. beneficial yeah. to both mm-hmm. of us. We both walk away from conversations and we both feel like we gained something. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, how do you define faith? I mean, everybody has a different definition, but how does Dan Johnson define faith and how does that get you through the tough times in life? Well, it gets me through more than tough times. It makes me appreciate the good times. It gives me balance and it's very blind. I think that's a great descriptor. Um, it's something you have to truly go all in and believe in or it's not coming to you that much. I, I do know. Um, I, I also know that, uh, if you have it, then there's, there's, I mean, to say the rewards are limitless is the biggest understatement I could ever make because that, that is really the foundation of everything that I do. Fishing is an incredible vehicle. Hunting is an incredible vehicle. Being able to get give back and educate on the fishing side now, and, and to be and to educate myself so I get better at fishing is mm-hmm. huge too. But you know, I always relate it when I'm speaking to young people anymore, and I've been so blessed to be given a platform to do this nationally. Is I start with that foundation, mm-hmm. and you're, it starts with core values, principles, character, things you really strongly believe in. And now I know mine. I challenge people to find theirs, and I don't for any reason expect anybody for, to, to, you know, this isn't a universal thing. Right. You have yours. Right. But when you when you find that, and that's what you stand on, all these other activities are great, but if you don't have that, to me, right, I have no starting point. So that that's you you know you asked, and that's that's where that's where I'm at, and. Oh, the great um, thing is everything you describe <laughs> can be had without faith. Yeah. And that's the beauty of yeah. of learning is that there are set ways that people think that the only way to get to the next step, I have to have a certain foundation. But I'm saying there's different ladders out there that can get you to the same, you know, I don't even want to say conscious 
element of your of your life, but that the spirituality aspect that people aspire to each day. You know, you you get up and you have this calling, this compelled feeling. You know, and it really, you know, a feeling and a belief certainly doesn't equate for facts. I mean, you you can have a belief in Bigfoot, but until somebody finds a Bigfoot, <laughs> they don't exist. So you could say, well, but I believe. I'm a hundred percent belief that there's Bigfoot. I respect that. I do. And I, I actually, you know, this is what Scott and I talked about in our, in our afterlife show is, you know, do, does a belief that, that there's a sincerest belief in something equate to a fact. And, you know, unless someone is pretty ignorant of what a fact is, then I think it's difficult to commit to that ideology. However, is it important that the answer is yes or no? Not really. I mean, I guess if you think that the only way you can be a good human being and, you, and the well-being of your life is as high as it can be and all the people around you are benefiting with your, your presence, then does it really matter what your belief structure is or is it more important what your behavior structure is? How do you behave as a person? I'd rather have somebody who doesn't believe in anything that's just an overall great person than someone who believes in something that's an asshole, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's a jerk. And, you know, fortunately, I don't know many, I don't know many jerks in either side of the fence. So for me, I have faith as well. We just define it differently, which is proof to anyone watching this that I don't think you have to drink the Kool-Aid of any specific ideology to have a very productive, inspired life and also inspire the people around you. Um, Unless I'm wrong on that, which no, you do you do so many amazing things from the charitable side to just being great friends with so many people to I could go on and on and on that I certainly wouldn't debate that I I just think we have different positions. Yeah. I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong, but when I say it's blind, I I, I truly mean that. Yeah. it's something you can't I can't say here it is, Jeff. I just think you it's know, but, for me it's interesting when I when I meet someone on social media and they say, "Wow, man, you got a you got a nonprofit you started you." You, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you know, you've, you've, you've wrote a book and, mm-hmm. and you, you haven't made any money on your book. I mean, all my profits go into my, for my book, go into my nonprofit. Right. I do all these speaking engagements. You know, I, I am, uh, you know, active in, in lots of things. And, and there's an assumption that I'm driven by like yeah. a God. And when they find out that I'm, you know, agnostic mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not willing to, you know, subscribe to that belief, uh, am I open to it? Sure. I just need more evidence for me. Mm-hmm that people are set back like, well, how can you be doing these good things unless you believe in God? I'm like, oh, it's quite very easy. I don't, I don't have to inject anything into my life to do good things. I don't need help from anything other than me. And that's the beauty of discovery. That's the beauty of fully being open-minded is saying, go back to Bigfoot. When someone says Bigfoot exists and say someone who's doesn't know, you know, the onus is really on the person that says it exists. I mean, if I'm out there telling people Bigfoot exists and, and I'm going to have a discussion with somebody and they're pretty adamant Bigfoot doesn't, well, you can't, that person can't prove Bigfoot doesn't exist. There's just no possible way. You can't, you can't disprove a negative. So I go back to, for me personally, Dan, and I'm, I'm as open-minded on this topic as possible. I've, I've read, I've written, I've researched, and I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm like that bluegill under the mm-hmm. dock. I'm waiting for a little bit bigger worm to come down mm-hmm. for me to bite on. And it just hasn't happened yet. And I've had plenty of reasons. You know, I've lost a child, lost mm-hmm. a marriage, been as an alcoholic, compulsive gambler. I have a foundation to have have a savior. I just don't feel like I, I, a, I don't need to be saved. I haven't asked for permission for someone to save me. And I don't feel I'm broken. 
even though I've all I've had all these things happen to me, but that's just the deal you made when you're born. That's just life. You know, I mean, it's no different than a fish swimming around one day. Next thing you know, there's something to eat and he eats it and then he's boom, pulled out of the boat and then he's lunch. It's like poor fish, but that's life. You know, he just picked the wrong worm yeah. to eat. Where I'm going with this, I don't know. But anyway, I think you and I have done uh, a good job over the past in having these conversations and faith is an important part of humanity. I wish more people had faith. Um, but again, just the definition of it is different for everybody. I, I would add something to that. Yeah. In the state of this, this, and I'll use this to the U.S., for example, yeah. but as divisive as we are mm. in this country, we need more people that it's share vile. the attitude that we have. Right. And, I, and agree to disagree. I don't like that. I don't either. It's over. I don't either. It's overused. It's cliche. Totally. You know? yeah. But I think it's important to, I would say, two things. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, fortunately, the better I understand this. Because right. I was never that way. I was always very judgmental when I was younger, to, to a fault. 100%. I've learned so well, much. Well, we'll agree to disagree, Dan. No. <laughs> but I would, I, would say, I would say two things. I, I think, number one, it's always important to understand that just because you believe something, somebody else may not. Yeah. And you have to understand that in order to have relationships and to have things flourish and anything, in order to be happy... You have to be able to listen and truly, genuinely understand other people's point of view. No, absolutely. Instead of trying to be dictatorial. But the second thing Look at the elections say, we had. It was well, just disgusting. But the second thing I would say is I think we need more critical thinking, though. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you epitomize that. I have so much respect for you because a lot of people say, well... I saw it here. I read it here. Five people told me. My friends say it. Therefore, I am. I like that critical thinking. You're not that way. You're a critical thinker, meaning you're going to... Jeff Johnston's going to decide what's true. Mm -hmm. And you're going to use your own paths through your own research. You deflect things that come in, so you're going to find your own way. And I think that's a a really good thing. I I compliment you for that. And fortunately, um, I, I... tend to do that now a lot myself yeah it's one of the it's it it hasn't made me more reclusive but it kind of has because i yeah i i kind of get in a box a little bit because i just believe in what i believe in because i've kind of figured it out myself and i don't really want to be convinced otherwise if that sounds bad no 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 no. i I, I, matter of fact my wheels are spinning you know how many different roads i want to go down but i i um you know i'm I'm 54 and you're 53 i'm soon to be 55 next next week is that right that's hard to believe it It is hard to true though but it's like you know there's a progression to to um, to learning. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. certain things that you learn at a certain age, you think is that's you know that's the the most amazing thing in the world. And you get older, you learn more, but you realize how less you really know about things. Um, you know, we look at. Uh, I'm kind of one that when I when I when I think of scenarios, I think of the possibility versus the probability, and I write about this a lot in investing and things like that, or just life in general. You know, what's what's the probability that a Bigfoot exists? You know, go back to my Bigfoot love, versus what's the possibility that it exists? Well, I mean, a possibility is obviously there's a possibility anything. There's a possibility God exists, Bigfoot, whatever. What's the, what's the probability is where I kind of like to hang my hat, not mm-hmm. possibilities. I don't play the what-if games too much. So, um, you know, going back again, this whole thing started with addiction and uh, the terrible state of mind people are in and, and um, you know, fishing being a coping, coping mechanism and all these things. And for me, I sprinkled in faith just because I think faith is kind of that arrow in the quiver that people go to. And you know what? By all means, I don't care if you believe in Gozar the Barbarian. If you're a good person... <laughs> 
If you're a good person, you don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, you know, take care of yourself health-wise, uh, have healthy relationships, um, keep learning, keep breaking down barriers, then who the hell cares what mm -hmm. you believe? I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm more attracted to human beings on their behavior and less their, their belief structure, you know. Um, and this, this show will be, taste, will be taping after the show when Roman and I talk about him coming out mm -hmm. as being gay. So um, a few months back when my, uh, my youngest son, Roman, uh, came out that he was gay, you know, that presented an, a, a whole new opportunity as a dad, you know, as a heterosexual dad, you know, to understand what, uh, that Roman was actually inviting me to be on his journey and not me telling him how his heart should feel towards another human. You know, your heart doesn't have a gender is what I used to, is what I say. Now, if I'm a staunch Republican and I'm a conservative and I'm a Catholic, you know, and there's a high probability that my son's not going to come to me. There's a high probability that 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 barrier of, say, religion uh, that is between my son and I, because homosexuality is viewed, you know, differently than a non-religious person, is that that's one hurdle that Roman would have to deal with before he presented me this opportunity to be on his journey. And for me, I think the big thing is a non-religious human the fact that Roman, I was the first person he went to, just showed me the confidence he has that I wasn't going to inject something into this conversation that didn't be, need to be injected, like a celestial being. doesn't need to be involved in Roman's homosexuality. So what I did, Dan, is as a parent is I thought, okay, I got one chance to F this up. I got one chance for Roman ever to come to me to tell me that he's gay. And I, I say this to any parent watching this, not not in a religious aspect or a, you know, whether you believe in homosexuality or not, as a, as a uh, opportunity that your children will present to you if they trust you to have these conversations. And then you as a parent can decide what road to go down. And if you're a strong Catholic and you're against homosexuality, then take that position and deal with the consequences. If your you know, son decides to do something drastic like suicide, which has happened, you know, um, I think uh, adolescents are five times more likely to commit suicide. Uh, gay adolescents are five times more likely to commit suicide than straight adolescents. Mm -hmm. Five times. So if your son kills himself over something as ridiculous as their sexuality, that's that's a problem with society, not you or me or you know parenting. That's society not doing a good job, not with the kids, but with the parents. Understanding that as much as we want our kids to be many us, they're many them. They, they are them and, and we birthed them, we raised them, and after that, it's their journey. Right. So... <clears throat> I'm not sure I got off on that, but you and I sit on the phone some nights for two hours and we start off on fishing and end up in, you know, well, some me, other let area. Me, but let me uh, respond to that. Yeah. Because... And I'm not really asking you to respond, but no, I think, I, I think I, it's, I, I want you and to, I have a good I, talks I want on this to, stuff. Because yeah. the other night we were on the phone and this topic came up and there's yeah. something that I was talking about that's a little more ancillary, but it really tied right into this. And right. To me, this whole topic is very simple. It's, it's love. It's, uncondition it's yeah. unconditional love. It's, mm -hmm. it's not just love. It's unconditional love, meaning love with no conditions. In other words, I have my, I have my faith. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. My love for my son, man, it, there's very, very little he could throw at me short of going shooting someplace up. Right? Yeah. That, that but I you would, would still love him. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I, I know. It, until it's you have a kid, unconditional. Well, and everybody says that when you have your own this and that. But the the, <laughs> the, the foundation, and, and I'll, I'll go back to that foundational statement I yeah. made a while back. That's my starting point. And yeah. that's right. Unconditional love for, and it's really a group of people. It's not just my son. You're, you happen to be in that circle, young man. But 
Well, I love you too. You don't man. judge. <laughs> you don't judge on people's behaviors or actions or faith or direction or whatever. And judge is a, is really a horrible word. It is. I think you judgment know, I, day is a horrible concept. Yeah, I I, yeah. I think um, you love unconditionally, and it just it it creates this Teflon shell around your 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 kid that where mm-hmm. he can just tell you anything. Mm-hmm. But you have to establish that when they're really young. Yeah, you know? I think and I think that your actions prove unconditional love way more than just saying it. One thing yeah, I did, yeah, one thing I I did tell my son completely. years ago, and I embarrassed the heck out of him because I used to coach his youth football teams. Um, they had a good I, quarterback back in the day, yeah, I remember. Still can throw it. Um, I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you I love you every single day Absolutely. whether you like it or not. Absolutely. And he used to get embarrassed in front of the football team. And to this, this, this morning, he's going to the gym to work out. And I said, I love you, buddy. Do you hug him? I, I quite a bit, but yeah. I say I tell him I love him every single day, and now yeah. he's six two, one eighty five, and can take me down in the drop of a hat. Yeah, it'll never change. I, you know, someday when I'm grandpa's grandpa's age, you know, Kalen calls grandpa, we call Doc, and uh, Kalen's my age. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll still be saying that to him. I promise you, every single day, that'll never change. And yeah. it's to your point. So no, I'm just I'm I'm thinking about about Seth who passed away. Yeah. you know our our oldest son and kind of the uh, again the the opportunity that I was presented on a silver platter to you know like I write about in my book about the two roads you know you know here here's an opportunity where I could easily go down well I have to go down one of two roads mm-hmm. there's no more neutrality when you when you bury a child. Um, the dynamics in every relationship you have change. It's different than a mom or dad or a pet or even a sibling. Although sibling, uh, sibling death is one of the highest uh, stress inducers for the other remaining siblings. So for like Roman and Ian, it, it, losing Seth is something I need to be cognizant of as, as they grow up. And that's one of the reasons why I had to be sensitive with Romans coming out because it's on top of of this, of their brother being gone. So it's, it's very much dancing on eggshells. But, you know, going back to... Um, Kind of forgetting where I went with this point. I already forgot. That's ADD. Um, but no, I think. Oh, I was talking about Seth and about how much um, you know. I when Seth died, I was presented this opportunity to go down these two roads, and um, one road would be just you know anger and despair and hatred, yeah. and you end up just drinking yourself to death. Or you say, hey, you know, this is a, an opportunity for me to just awaken and, and to find a, a, a new reason to live my life. You know, the limited time we have as humans. Um, I don't want to wait to die to find heaven. I want to create heaven now on earth. And that's the mindset I live my life by. And I respect those people that that looking forward to going to heaven or fearing going to hell. Uh, I, I fortunately don't ever have to kind of play that because I don't believe in either one. So for me, it's like, what can I do to create heaven in my life today? And my podcast is a good example. Yeah. Having you on as a guest, this is my, you know, this is literally my heaven. Yeah. You know, I've got... Got you know Eddie from Eddie. Iron Maiden, and I've got all my other heavy metal stuff. And you know, I, I do. T- I'll take a quick second to talk about this backdrop because when I started the podcast, someone said, "Well, what type of background do you want? A library or plants?" And I said, "Hell no! This is I want Jeff Johnston." So, Iron Maiden's my favorite heavy metal band. That's a check that we donated to uh, the um, uh, Alcohol and Substance Abuse Council here in Cedar Rapids, which I'm an active board member. And that was a fundraiser that my our son Ian did through golf, through Leadership Links. We gave about $7,000 to ASAC after Seth was a patient there. That's a, an, uh, a scuba diving original artwork Roman and I bought in Bonaire, one of our scuba trips. And this is Ian 
in a golf tournament down in Missouri, the AJJ tournament, the only one he ever won. And it was like winning a, ma a major in pro golf, but it was for junior golf. So this is my life. And so why would I want to have fake plastic trees and library books and a, and a Iowa Hawkeye banner and things like that? It's like, you know, this is not the Hawkeye I, banner. Yeah, I was going to say, I dropped that the ball on that, but I do love Iowa. <laughs> Delete that, Molly. No, um, no, I, I, but you know, I just, this is who I am. This podcast is who I am. Yeah. I invited you not to spend the hour talking about fishing. Yeah. You you can go and you can get all that on millions of podcasts, but can you have a can you have a conversation right. with two people that can kind of incorporate the outdoors into stress, anxiety, coping mechanisms, things like that. So again, so in regards to where you see your career going the next 5 years, let's say, cuz that gets us both to about 60. You know what? Where do you see you in five years? Um, and before you answer that, do you see you in more of a, you know, of a structure where you're? Um, I don't want to say, I don't want to get in trouble with your employer, <laughs> but but like, do you see yourself in a in a more corporate structure or a more structure where you're free to kind of do things like your own podcast, your own things like that? I mean, where where do you see you? Well, that's a great. I know it is. That's yeah, why I was afraid to a, ask it. It's a great question, but I can be in a in a in a, in a sales management structure and still be very free because I yeah. don't compromise my my foundation. Right. So I, I've been able to achieve that and really be myself and pursue the things that I really want to do. You know, things like this or whether right. it's a fishing podcast or a fly casting class or an ice fishing seminar or Lord knows what. You know, I'm still getting that, like we say, that fix. Mm -hmm. So in five years, you know, who knows? I mean, I, I love sales. I love um, people. Right. So to be able to have a team that you can empower and set goals and achieve those goals. And then we're just so fortunate because the peripheral advantage to that is I'm selling fishing rods and I know what the rod is. It's a yeah. vehicle to enhance the experience too. So right. not only am I helping people along the way as well as me learning, but I'm supplying, selling them something that's giving them tremendous value. So there's a lot of, uh, we call, uh, you know, the marginal utility was a term we used to learn. Oh, yeah. I love that challenge. Yep. The fishing rod is more the, the tool for the use to the passion. But there's a lot of benefits to managing people, as you know so well. Mm -hmm. Think of how many lives you've changed and what you've done from the investment side yeah. or from people that work with you. I know it's funny. People don't career. even know I spent 30 years running an investment company. They think this is all I've been doing. <laughs> right. So I think anytime you're in a situation where you can affect people's lives, regardless what that is, it's really important. That's where I want to be in five years. Yeah. To answer that question. How's the health of fishing right now from a, from a, I mean, I, I since I yeah. scuba dive, I know the oceans are, are hurting. We saw so much damage to coral and mm -hmm. um, the plastic in the ocean and you know, I subscribe to a lot of podcasts where they have videos of, of fish getting, whales getting tangled up in nets. It's like, that's the ocean. But I mean, in regard to like freshwater fishing yeah. in the United States, how is the health of the waters and the, and the fish? And I know there's mercury in the walleyes in Canada. Is that still a big thing? I mean, are we are we in a pretty good spot with the fish industry right now in our country? Yeah, the, let me, let me, from it's 10, a lot, it's kind of a well, lot of questions you, you, there. You put a lot into that question. Yeah. From 10,000 foot up, the answer is yes, but mm -hmm. let's break it down. In terms of the health of the uh, the number of anglers in the sport, it's awesome. And when you right. get more anglers in the sport, what do you get? You get funding. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you, and, and they you spend so, more. Yep. So yep. You, for, through licenses and yep. fees and all those things. So in that said, there's also a whole other branch through the American Sports Fishing Association, Association, and other groups like that that are legislative. That if it weren't for people like that 
they assist huge in clean waterways and like water, pheasants forever, water, forever, pheasants forever yep. Rocky Mountain yep. Foundation. I could go on, yeah, yeah. And on and on. So the eight million new anglers into the sport of fishing is a wonderful thing. Now, that obviously, is. it puts pressure on our fisheries. But what's good is catch and release is huge now. Yeah. You look at bass fishing. Or slot fishing, right? Slot slot limits, yeah. meaning for people. Can you explain uh, that real quick in yeah, 10 a, seconds a, what that a, means? A, a slot limit is basically a min and a max. And if you catch one short of that or longer than that, you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Um, so catch and release is a big thing to keep the, you know, the health of the lakes. And I know up in um, Canada, we do walleye fishing and you'll fish all day and catch a lot of fish, but they're outside the slot limit. But that's for a reason, right? Well, and I've had very uh, reputable musky fishermen, James Linder, who's a good friend of mine, who's one of the biggest musky names in the in the world, made a statement a while back, you have a better chance to catch a 50-inch musky now than you did 25 years ago. Interesting. The reason why is a 50-incher is 40 once as long as it's let go. Oh, okay. So, yeah. you know, catch and release gets that fish an opportunity to, to get that trophy size. And we're seeing that in bass. We're seeing it all over the place. So, which that's obviously a really good thing. Do you do you like the comparison to Crocodile Dundee I always make for you? In my book, I wrote about, I said you could kill a bear with dental floss from like 100. I don't know what I said, but I, I think I'm quite accurate in that I assessment. I got charged but. by a, a brown bear in Alaska. Was, that's one of my things I was going to ask you. What's yeah. the scariest thing that's ever happened to you in the outdoors? Uh, there's there's a, a lot of them. Um, I got charged by an Alaskan brown bear, stopped from me to you away. And, Come on. Uh, oh, yeah. Full speed. I was fly fishing. Now, yeah. com, okay, not com, common sense. Common charge. sense said, says yeah. to run. Yeah, no. But, well, me, I'm running, yeah. I'm, I'm tripping you and running yeah. as fast as I can. Here, here's the thing about the human spirit that's so awesome. <laughs> when you're in that situation, oh, I understand. you go into a state of numbness. You react differently. You don't even realize. Right. All I yep. knew from research yep. is to put my backpack on my yep. shoulders to make myself look eight foot right. tall. And right. Don't look him in the eyes. Right. Look at him right here. Yep. That's all I knew. Right. And don't run. Right. And then make sure you know how to change your diaper later. If you have a diaper. Short of that, you, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But that was one of them. And then another time was on Lake Erie. I absolutely should have. Oh, you guys boating? The boat. Big yeah, storm yeah, came yeah, in. Yeah. So was, you've had lots of. Oh boy, I've had, I've had a lot of them. It's yeah. interesting you bring up the bear because <clears throat> I get people with our scuba diving ask me. You know, the first question I get is, "Well, do you see sharks?" Like, well, of course, yeah. it's the ocean. I mean, come on. We dive at night, you know, 100 feet down on a reef in the ocean. There's no fences in the reef. Um, and there's sharks down there. Every single dive we had in Grand Turks, there was reef sharks out there. And some came within 5 to 10 feet of us. Never once did it ever feel threatened. Yeah. And I, I ask people all the time, or I equate this to hunters going in the woods. You don't think of getting eaten by a bear. You take all the pr- uh, protocols. You bring the, the bear spray. You you don't leave food out. I mean, just like in the ocean, I don't go there and trail, you know, stakes behind me on fishing line to track sharks. It's like most of the animals in nature want nothing to do with you. They're not there to eat you unless you're injured or dying. And then they'll probably consider eating you. But a bear is going to try everything in his power to avoid confrontation. Most bears, except maybe grizzlies, right? Well, they actually actively hunt people. Would you say most, well, most bears are ninety percent? Well, nothing I, to do with you. I don't have a percentage, but right. what I will say is the vast majority of the time, if it's a bear, for example, yeah. it's going to be one of two things: either you walk up to find your elk two days later, and a bear's sitting there and guarding it because it's his kill now. Well, of course. It is. Or number two, <laughs> you, you in the springtime, a, a big female with a cub. Oh man! Other than that, my deal was a false charge. He didn't want me fishing there because I was doing better than he was. So it's like you see in the movie that comes oh, crashing through the water. Stopped right How big from, a bear? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Were you just, by yourself? Yeah, freaking giant. Yeah, just giant. Head so of, if, the bear, if the bear 
had not decided to false charge you, you and I aren't doing this we wouldn't podcast. We would be having a podcast, but it, it, it looked at, it looked, but was really, really kind of awesome. I'll never, I'll never forget this. I could see the condensation in its nostrils. I could see it. It was just. I mean, the hair standing up on my arm It was, right it was giant. It was like, it was giant. But it, it looked, it looked, I, I'm looking here, not its eyes. I, I've been told that. But it was, look, it would look off to the side, then it would look back like that. And it was totally analyzing what I was going to do. And you weren't, act, you were terrified, horrified. but you weren't acting terrified. Horrified. I couldn't act it. You think if you would have acted, you'd been dead? I don't know. If you would have ran, would it have chased you? Maybe that bear so used to chasing fly fishermen off a stream. It was playing with me. I don't know. But Were you warned of that stream that this, this Yeah, stuff? and there were guides around with uh, shotguns that had uh, pepper bullets in yeah. them. I know what those are. Non-lethal? Yeah. But they, of course, went in and left me out there. <laughs> the bear was watching. Chasing. We'll be back in God, I see. I, I don't know if yeah. I could go in those, some of those streams. Well, diving big... with sharks would well, freak me out more exactly. than Exactly. So. There you go. Touche. Yeah. But I guess that's some of the fear things that people have to get by, you know, right. and... Um, you know what COVID has kind of taught us as a society is that you can sit in your little protected, you know, castle that you've created and insulate yourself from reality, or you can keep going out and fishing. And I've been on three scuba diving trips since COVID came out. And I had one time someone on social media posted something like, well, you know, I, I can't wait till something opens up. And we, and I said, mm. what do you, what do you, things are open, right? You choose. Exactly. I got, I got one out, got tested. We flew, I got tested on the island, I got tested every place I ate, and I went on three trips. And you're sitting around waiting for someone to give you permission right. to go out into the world. That's on you. That, I'm, that, on your, I'm on your side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're exactly, I'm, I agree yeah. with that. If you're waiting for someone to say, okay, Dan, time to go fishing. Yeah. The, the, the door, ocean is open, you know, the seas, the, the lakes are open. You're gonna, you're gonna wait till it's too late. Right. And um, I, I'm not good at waiting, you're not either. And, mm-hmm. and for me, um, to me, traveling has been great in COVID. Yeah. No one's out there right. traveling. Right. I feel sorry for the people that are, A, obviously been adversely affected by COVID, but the of ones course. that haven't been but of are course. terrified of it. Right. You know, well, there's something there, else coming around the there, corner, there, obviously. There, there are negative effects in terms of suicide and depression oh, and divorce and all the things that are attached to this Job loss. Well. And, yep. So, you know, yeah, that's I'm 100% on your side on that one. Yeah, but... Um, so I think what I'll do to wrap up the show is I, I want to thank... Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule because we've rescheduled this a few yeah, times. And, you know, I, I do want to thank St. Croix because they've been a huge part of allowing you to go out there and be an ambassador and be an advocate for the outdoors. And for those of you, for those people that know very little of you other than you're my brother, um, can you spend the last few minutes how people can, can reach you? What's the best uh, place to maybe hear you, podcast related? Um, you know, what social media platforms are you on possibly that people can interrupt, you know, interact with you? Um, and maybe say that a few minutes and then we'll kind of wrap things up. Yeah. I'm not on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, anything like that. And it's funny because one of the reasons why is because I did so much through work from in terms of national TV to radio, to seminars, to this, to that, and trying to manage sales and I didn't want to go there. Right. So, but to answer your question that, you know, if anybody wanted to reach out, they could certainly, you know, find me through work, you know, St. Croix. Um, or me. <clears throat> or, through, or through you for sure. I'm sure yep. you'd be a great uh, speaker at a, a noon optimist club mm-hmm. or rotary organizations or talking about the outdoors. Um, yeah, they're always looking for speakers. Yeah. And it's, it's so much greater than fishing. We right. Just, That's we why you're the outdoor advocate. We, we could have made this three hours. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I have stolen. Well, it's my podcast. Of, we can go yeah, three hours. If I, we I, want. I've I stolen care. a lot of, uh, 
Simon Sinek's oh, yeah. I know uh, who he is. concept yep. of, of the of the why. Mm-hmm. And I think that it really boils everything down and is so universal to so many people. It's just been awesome. The only thing I've done is use fishing as a bridge. What is your why? <clears throat> my why is my fundamentals. I mean, the reason why I do everything is you asked me, I'm going to give you an answer, is to connect deeper with my faith and help people and pursue my passions in the right way to the best of my ability till my last breath. That's my why. Pretty. That's a pretty good why. Yeah. So, you know, and I, 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 can, I can regurgitate that. Because yeah. I pray on it. I talk to myself about it all the time. I practice it, you know, in my work and when I teach and when I learn and all the things are all concurrent with that premise. But I think that... Um, the, the the opportunity that I've been given by so many people, whether it's on a tank fishing instruction or whether it's in front of 500 people or whether it's on a the ASA podcast out of Chicago or whatever it is, to be able to slip in the why once in a while and to be able to change somebody's life because they realize that's what really matters. And here's what will happen if you research it. And it's, it's, he's right on the internet, man. I mean, he's got millions. Oh, I know. I follow him. You know, everybody knows exactly what they do. Yeah. Very few people tell you how they do it and fewer people know why they do it. Right. That's where we need to start. And we need to figure that out because, you know, all this stuff defines you. Right. And that place right there is a, vehicle to get you to where you're going you know mm-hmm. scuba diving or what it is but all these things tie together to define who you are and very few people think that deeply but if you do and figure it out everything becomes so clear it's like crystal yeah so in other words in other words when i get up to go fishing anymore or let's say i buy a new graph for my boat and i put it in there and i go out there at 10 o'clock at night sit there with a coors light to go through my lake chips when the boat's in the stupid garage on the concrete right and i'm in there going through my stuff I know why I do that. Now. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's totally, that boat is merely, no, no, not from a literal sense, it's a vehicle, but it is the only thing that is. Yeah. All it is is fiberglass and plastic right. and gasoline and bells and whistles and $60,000. Right. Stupid investment. Right. But what it is, it's that way to get me to where I really need to be. You know, it's funny you said investment. It was not, one of the number not, one things I want to get across e- on this. Not expense. You know? You well, know, it is an investment. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's but totally people look investment. at a boat maybe or yeah. a, a something like that that provides, you know, um, an opportunity for you to be in awe of nature as, as a cost. And you said investment. I just thought that's a that's a slip. I don't think consciously you knew you were saying that. Yeah. But it's it's so true. And some people look at those things as like employees of a company, like a, as an expense. I, I've never looked at my employees. We have seven full-time right. staff as a cost. To right. me, it's an investment. It's like putting money in a mutual fund or a right. stock or a... And when a business owner equates their staff to expenses, then their why is tainted as far as I'm yeah. concerned. It's not a genuine why. Um, I'm asked frequently, you know, how many followers do I have? How yeah, many listeners do I have? Tonight. How many yeah. books have I sold? I get that yeah. all the time. Now, I'm not going to lie. I have sometimes looked down at how many people listen to my blog and I'll call Molly or I'll text her and say, Molly, you know, we're, there's a lot more activity. That's about it. It's very innocent, very manageable. But from a book standpoint, I told myself, Dan, that the minute I started looking at book sales, yeah. I would I would lose my why. Mm-hmm. And I have one big advantage in the living undeterred mindset and projects that I'm working on that trumps the majority of people out there doing similar things. I call them motivational speakers, life coaches, which I detest those words, detest them. I, I'm happy people are out there 
anointing themselves that? You write a check and become a life coach? I mean, is there an exam? I have no idea I'd become a life coach. <laughs> it, to me, it's just, and I don't mean to piss off people, but I really don't like those terms. Uh, I figured out in my last blog exactly what I am. I'm a storyteller. That's what I am. I tell stories about my life with three things in mind. I'm helping myself selfishly to survive so I don't commit suicide over the death of my son. I'm helping honor my son, Seth, because he's no longer here to talk about himself. And I'm out there trying to help people going through similar things. That That's my why. The number one reason why my why is different than most people that I just talked about, you know, my, my distaste for some of these anointed labels people give themselves, is mine isn't driven by money. I have no desire to ever make money on anything I'm doing with this project. And I spend every moment of my life in this project. And that is passion. When passion is done with something that does not get 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 blinded by money, then for me, it's genuine and authentic. Now, with that in mind, I've been asked by certain people that I'm foolish not to quantify this. So I'm not ruling out the possibility of finding a way to raise funds, not to enrich me, but to enrich my mm -hmm. nonprofit. So again, going back to my why, you talked about yours, you could regurgitate it. I had not rehearsed that. I just mm -hmm. had three things pop into my head. Mm -hmm. I just added things to kind of tie it together. But that's my why. I'm not going to lie. My first why is Jeff Johnston. If mm -hmm. I don't take care of my health and my, my life and my sanity, then I will join Seth. And I'm just not eager to do that yet. And then the second one is to honor him because he's not here to do that. You know, I'm the only, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm one of a few people out there continuing his legacy. And, you know, he was a felon. He was in prison. He died of heroin. He was an alcoholic. He was a drug addict. But that's not, that's how he died, but that's not who he was. Right. I'm obligated, Dan, to continue that story. And then there's people out there uh, like you and me that have been through. Um, I know I didn't want to put you on the spot and talk about the, the person that you lost in your life mm -hmm. to addiction and those type of things. Um, a very traumatic event for you. And I'm still confident that you deal with that daily. Mm -hmm. But that individual drives you compels you to keep making sure your life is the best it can be. You know, death is a tremendous teacher. Death's an efficient teacher um, because there's no fluff. It's just death. You're gone. That's it. The party's over. Lights are off. I mean, and you got to find a way to deal with that. And I, I write obsessively about our disconnect with understanding death. Right. And I think if people had a clearer picture on adversity and trauma, as not a impediment to happiness, but as a foundation to happiness, that we would have many more people in our country not killing themselves, not drowning their sorrows with alcohol, and not putting a needle of heroin with fentanyl in their arm, and that they would go fishing with their dad, or go golfing with their son, or go scuba diving with their son. And that's what you and I are trying to do is, I hate the word preach, but we're gonna be out here um, preaching the idea that there are other ways to deal with life stresses and the outdoors is at the top of that list. Yeah, I mean, Dan, scuba diving is the outdoors. Oh, totally. 100%. Golfing is the outdoors. 100%. Um, yeah, you right. know, yep. so... Playing so, music outside. Yeah, you know, so whatever. I mean, yep. everything I've talked about mm -hmm. is the outdoors uh, other than sitting in my, my room down here in our studio. But, well, I think with that, Dan, that's a good bow tie on this. Um, I... We could go for hours on this topic, and um, yeah, let me say something. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll let you wrap it yep. up real quick. What, what? First of all, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on this. Just the, the sheer fact I get to sit down and talk to you for an hour, you know, gloves off, is awesome. But mm -hmm. what's most 
um, what excites me more than anything about what you're doing. And there's been a lot of topics you've talked about. You mm-hmm. showed me kind of a little list of people you've yeah. talked to. Is you guys, you're you're teaching people to take the cloak off and be able to talk about everything. Yeah. We need a lot more of that. Yep. There, there's so much divisiveness, judgmental, stereo, stereotypic, yeah. you know, stereotypical people. Yep. You have all these problems that we have out there, all of which, a lot of which could be solved if people would just talk and listen. Mm-hmm. You know, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. And did, this podcast is going to be a way for people to just talk, whether we're talking about... Yeah. Whatever we don't have to agree, but I, I think it's just awesome what you're doing. See, I just so, I want to keep talking with you about I think this it's stuff. Awesome. Um, do you meditate? I do. Well, I don't do it like you do. I, I think I need to get to your level. Well, but there's no level. Meditation. But, but here's here's what I do, and I don't know if I would call this meditation or not. But I have a morning ritual yeah. that I go through when I get up, and yeah. you can you can call it programming your brain positive. And so many people say it in so many ways, but I am. First of all, I reflect on a lot of things. I reflect on things that can make me better. I look at my strengths and I thank God for them. I look at my weaknesses and I know that I've got to improve those doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. But most importantly, I think about how I can affect somebody's life every day, you know, positively. Whether, yeah. whether it's a complete, utter stranger, just try to do, you know, try to do something positive. So I, I have a lot of internal thought every day. Yeah. Nobody else around, you know, in that first, kind of that first light thing. And then I start my day. Whether you call that meditation or not, I don't yeah, know. I, I, but. I wouldn't call, because actually meditation is almost the opposite of that because mm-hmm. you're trying to um, witness your thoughts. You're not, you, you know, you're really not the author of your thoughts anyway. And we could get into the illusion of self and all that some other time, free will, all that stuff that people talk about. But meditation is the ability for you to be aware of. It's like if you sit in the you sit in the woods and you're near deer stand. You're not meditating, but you you kind of are. You're just you're in awe of your surroundings. You're hearing the birds and the, the leaves rustle and the wind blow, and you're just kind of you're just being aware. And that meditation isn't controlling your thoughts. It's it's the opposite. You're you're being aware of your thoughts. You're not judging your thoughts. I mean, imagine if we sat around and and we 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 actually um, you know got put in jail for negative thoughts. We'd all be in prison. Yeah. We'd all be on death row. Mm-hmm. And anyone says they haven't had a, a negative or a, a bad thought is just they're a, they're a, they're a bad liar. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. So meditation, the art of meditation, is nothing more than simply allowing aspects of your brain to settle down, and you're just aware of things. I've had meditation, Dan, for six months where nothing happened. Where I just sit there and. All of a sudden, I have to go back to my breath because I get thinking about a podcast or I keep Mm -hmm. thinking about uh, a bill I have to pay or thinking about a call I have to make and and go back to my breath. You know, you have a trigger, you have an anchor, they call them in meditation. Mm -hmm. So you're not trying to expunge thoughts. You're just letting, you know, they're going to come in and they disappear. And the, the allure of meditation for me is where does that thought come from and where does it go? And if you're aware of that, then when you're at the grocery store and someone bumps in front of you and you have an anger thought, well, you know that this is just a temporary thought because every thought and feeling eventually goes away. 
So meditation for me has been a great way for me to control. I haven't been anger. I haven't been angry on anything in two years. I I haven't had one moment of anger how in two years. Your, how about your seven iron that goes like hundred? I break it. That, that doesn't count. Short, golf, right? Nope. We're not going to talk about my shanks okay, on golf. I've golf is some emotions. Molly, delete when we get to the golf part on shanks. Just delete that part because my son Ian is laughing right now. No, but Dan, meditation has been a very yeah. good thing for me. That's 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 um. Sounds that's, like it'd be good that, for that, that's secular. Yeah. What I mean by that is, you if you if you're a religious person, you could make meditation a, a part of your conversations with God, or maybe you're um, you're in awe of of this celestial being. If you're an agnostic like me, um, none of that comes into play. But you can you can have two quality meditation sessions. I had one session, and we'll end the show because I know we're way over. Where we were in St. Lucia, and I went off to meditate on this really cool rock overlooking the ocean. Never done this before. Most of my meditation is like in this room next to Eddie from Iron Maiden. <laughs> and uh, so I sat on this rock, and I'm doing my meditation. I do a guided meditation, so I have an app from Sam Harris called Waking Up, where he just kind of talks softly, and you get your breathing, and you're you're just kind of relaxing and you know the, sitting on this rock you know with the wind blowing and the ocean and the waves i'm like and the people scuba diving were sitting in their chairs kind of watching me and all of a sudden i came out of my meditation and I, it was colder like 10 degrees and i was covered in water and apparently i my meditation which had normally been 10 minutes went like 20 because my, my phone had stopped and i still meditated i don't know what happened but I didn't realize the temperature dropped. And I came back and they're like, Jeff, we were going to come get you because this storm came in. I swear to God, pardon my phrase there, but um, or respect my, my phrase. Um, I don't know what happened. That's the only time in two, three years of meditation I've ever had a surreal moment where I can't, I can't explain where I went. It was almost like I was on psychedelics, which I've never done. Wow. It was a weird experience. I don't attribute it to any intervention or divine spiritual thing. It was just my focus on being aware of my surroundings was so intense that I told myself, okay, Jeff, it took me two years to get to that 10 minutes, but it was worth every second of meditation moments that had nothing. That I just sat there going, this is, you know, nothing's happening. You know, people think you're going to drift off and talk to angels or something. It doesn't happen that way. Mm. The expectations of meditation are, are skewed the wrong way and people do it and then they quit. I appreciate the education. Yeah. They don't get anything. I, think I got friends that, well, I tried meditation for a couple of weeks and mm -hmm. quit. And I said, well, what did you expect? Well, I don't know. Well, obviously you expected something or you wouldn't have quit. Right. You expected to get transcended somewhere. So I would add meditation up there on the on the arrows into each person's quiver mm -hmm. and the beauty of meditation you can make it whatever you want there's mm -hmm. no there's no rules of meditation you can have music you can do incense you can have it just quiet you can go out in the woods and meditate mm -hmm. you know anyway man um thank you very yeah, much it was awesome enjoyed it, it. Was um fun. for those people who and i don't have my cheat sheet in front of me so Molly, you're gonna have to put this on the bottom <laughs> of the screen but uh subscribe to our youtube channel is that right am i doing good um five star on spotify what else? Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Make sure you, uh, what are they supposed to do? Like me on Apple or something? Subscribe. Subscribe on Apple. Yeah, I, I suck at the the uh, distribution of my content I'm bad at, but the content I enjoy doing. So with that, Dan, that was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, and as I end every show, make sure, get outside, do some fishing, do some hunting. But for certain, live undeterred. Thank you, brother. You got it, man.